Well, good morning and welcome to week two of our Idols series, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to deliver this message. I feel like that the Lord has spoken to us as a church, not just as Lake Point Church, but as the Big C Church. And you, I would encourage you to go back and listen to week one of our Idol series, where we talk about how idols um, sort of have an aftermath to them. A, a lifestyle of idolatry has that, and we see that in the book of Nehemiah. And so in the book of Nehemiah, you have a, sort of the final scene of the movie called the Old Testament. And so throughout the Old Testament, you have the children of God, the Israelites, who are going back and forth in and out of idolatry, and, and, and God giving them some consequences for that. And so ultimately, he had kind of had enough, and he um, put them into captivity to other pagan countries. They attacked them. They took over the cities, especially the, the upper center, Jerusalem, the place of worship uh, for the one true God. And ultimately, about 70 years uh, later, God imparted and spoke to Nehemiah, who was just a, a regular guy, a, a cupbearer uh, to, the, to the king there in Persia. And they were able to come back and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And so you see a little bit of a picture of what the end result of a life of idolatry is. And I believe that we are actually in those times as a nation. As a nation, we have put lots of things before God. We have put things out there and we have worshiped, sort of worshiped other things. Now, we may not have uh, built uh, an actual figure. We may not have actually bowed down uh, to those things or, or whatever, but there are things in our life that we have said, you know, this is more important than the God, the creator of the universe. And so I believe that we're living in that time right now, and it's only going to get worse. I share with you how God is um, uniquely speaking to his bride, to his church, how God has spoken to me, and I believe God is speaking to our church. And we are rolling out a plan of how to respond and how to brace ourselves for what we believe is coming. And that begins with the study that we're doing in August, Nehemiah, and then in, um, in sometime in September, we're going to start a, a serious time of prayer and fasting. And so we're going to be rolling out these things as a church, and we invite you guys to walk with us on that journey. But we saw in Nehemiah last week, there was a response uh, to that and uh, to, to this life of, of um of, of adultery, I mean, of uh, idolatry, which is basically, in essence, an adulterous lifestyle of uh, adult, uh, spiritual adultery. And so we see how Nehemiah, what he did, he, he fasted and prayed. He also repented. And then he also reminded God of his promises. He said, you know, God, you said such and such in, in, in this part of your word, and, and you said this to this prophet, and so on and so forth. And we can do the same thing to God, to remind God of his promises. He also rallied um, people together to rebuild the walls. We need to rally the church to rebuild um, the, um, the boundaries of morality. And then he also ignored the threats and took action. We're not going to let uh, our culture, we're not going to let the enemy uh, to defeat us because the church will rise up. The church is stronger, not because of our strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so we, we talked about those things in, in week one. And then today, I want us to 
uh, talk about why is, an, why is idolatry so serious? Why is idolatry so serious? Well, it's serious because God's love is serious. God's love is so serious that he would leave the 99 to go get the one. God's love is so serious that he is even called a jealous God. We're going to get in, uh, into that. But there are idols that you and I will bow down to, through whether they're through our imaginations, whether they're through our checkbooks, our search engines, even, even our calendars. You know, we may not have the sort of the, the God of commerce or the, the God of agriculture that we bow down to or the God of sex or the God of the hunt, you know, but we do have a portfolio. We do have automobiles. We do have adult entertainment and we do have sports. We, so we do have some idols in our life that we've got to look after. We, it says in Exodus uh, chapter 20, verse 3 and 4, we talked about this last week, which is uh, the first two of the Ten Commandments. So already off the bat, two of the first ten speak about our idolatry. We see this, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. And that pretty much takes care of everything. You know, we, we read that and we think, all right, you shall set nothing before me. We naturally gravitate to this mind of sort of a, a hierarchy, a first place, second place, third place sort of approach to idolatry. Because he said, you, you don't want to put anything before me. And so we, we have this sort of organizational flow chart that we say, well, you know, God first and family second and so forth. But a lot of times we, 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 we mess that up. But in the reality, God isn't really saying, no, this, this is not a hierarchy. It's not an organizational flow chart. It's not about first place, second place. And in fact, a better understanding of the Hebrew text, when God said here in, in, in these commandments, when he said, you should have no other gods before me, the word before me actually is best translated in my presence. In my presence. He's not talking about, you know, you shouldn't have anything first place. I should be first place in your life. He's saying, you shall not put these before me in my presence. You know, God declines to sit at the top of an organizational flowchart. He is the organization. God is not interested in being president of the, of the board. He is the board, or he should be the board of your heart. You know, life, uh, life doesn't work until everyone else sitting at the table of your boardroom, of your heart, is fired. He wants to be the only one in the room. And you may say, well, that's a little bit egotistical of God. We're going to get into that. But there's a battle going on. There's a battle going on in your heart. There's a battle going on in my heart. And that is where it is played. This is where gods are born. This is where gods are worshipped. And when I say gods, I mean the lowercase little gods. So how do you know which gods are winning the fight? 
How do you know which gods are winning to fight in your heart? What's the ones that you search for the most? It's the ones that you and I search for the most. What you are searching for and chasing after reveals the God that is winning the war in your heart. Everything comes from the heart. As explained in, in, in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Everything you do flows from your heart. This is where your heart is where the battle belongs, and that's where it is fighting and waging war every day of your life. And so we're not, we're not talking about today about behavior modifications. I want to make sure you understand that. Uh, this, this series on idolatry and identifying those idols and getting rid of them life, of your life, it's not talking about behavior modifications because that is all just symptoms. It's all about what idols in your life how to identify them. So what are some practical ways that you and I can identify some idols in our life? I mean, so these idols in our lives are, are like everyday things, that, and sometimes it's hard to recognize what those idols are. And so I've got a few questions that you and I could ask ourselves, and that way we can better search in our hearts. So if you're, if you're taking notes, and, and we do have these on our app, if you go to our church app, and go to the more button and go to sermon notes. You can actually look at these questions. But, um, but the first question is this, what disappoints you? And again, these questions help us to identify what could be some idols in our life that are hidden under the surface. So what disappoints you? When we feel overwhelmed by disappointment, it's a sign um, that something has become far more important to us than it should be. Far more important. And so if you ask that question, what disappoints me, what disappoints you, you might be able to find an idol there lurking in the waters. Number two, second question, what do you complain about the most? I don't know about you, I complain, I do too much complaining. You can ask my wife, she could fill you with lots of times that I complain. You can even ask my kids as well. But maybe, do you find yourself maybe complaining about your financial situation? Maybe, um, maybe you're complaining about not getting respect at, at work, at the office from, from, from people, maybe those that you lead or, or maybe your boss. Or maybe you're, you are always complaining that the Georgia Bulldogs are lifting up the national championship trophy, you know? Whatever you're complaining about, that could be an idol. What, that, it, it, that is what matters most to you if you're complaining. So what disappoints you? What do you complain about the most? Third question, where do you make financial sacrifices? Where do you make financial sacrifices? And, and, and um, where your money goes shows what's winning your heart because where your treasure is, there's your heart will be also. And we're gonna get into more of that later on over the next three weeks as we continue in this series. But this is an important question because where do you make financial sacrifices shows you could be some idolatry there somewhere, okay? Next question, what worries you? What worries you? My goodness, we have a ton of reasons to be worried right now. <laughs> I mean, if we're looking 
through our physical eyes, not the spiritual eyes, or we're not trusting in the Lord, but when we are just looking at this thing just from a human perspective, there's a lot to be worried about right now. Whether it be jobs or or, our school or this pandemic or even more uh, riots and no, you know, election coming in November and all of this stuff, there, there's a lot of things that are about to shake up. And because of that, there's a, it, there's a little bit of worry in our minds if we're looking at this from a human perspective. So worrying is a big problem, but what it does, it shows a lack of trust in God Almighty that he's got this. He's got this. And so when we worry, it shows that we have lost a sense of control. And so if we have lost a sense of control, maybe control is something that is an idol in our life. Here's, a, here's another question. Where is your sanctuary? Where is your sanctuary? Meaning, where do you go when you're hurting? Where do you go when you've had a terrible day? How many of you have had a, some, a, a, a terrible day this week, the last couple of weeks? If you've had a terrible day this past week or the last couple of weeks, how did you respond to that? Did, did, you, did you go to the refrigerator and, and sort of pig out on some ice cream? You know, Or did you pick up the phone and maybe just complain to someone else? Maybe you went to uh, a, a TV show and binge watch or maybe just did a lot of video games or maybe you just spent hours and hours just scrolling, just, you know, eating up brain cells on social media. Whatever it is, wherever you go for your sanctuary, if it's not God Almighty, there could be some idolatry hidden in there as you ask yourself that question. When things get tough, when things get... When you worry or things go bad, where do you naturally go to? It says this in Psalm 46, verse 1 and 2. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Where we go says a lot about um, where, who we are and what Idols are hiding in the wings. So if, if God is not our sanctuary, then there could be some idolatry there. Uh, next question. What infuriates you? <laughs> what makes you mad? If you're asking yourself this question and you're thinking, okay, already right now, this makes me mad, this infuriates me. Traffic. Traffic makes me mad. Stupid drivers make me mad. You ask my kids. Well, Dad... Wow, is, is that one of your new Christian cuss words? Because <laughs> you, know, you have like the big cuss words, and you have like the cr- little Christian cuss words, which I'm not saying we should say those, but I'm just saying I get a little upset. I'm just natural. I'm human. And so it, what infuriates you? What makes you mad? Do your kids make you mad? Do your, does your spouse make you mad? Does your boss make you mad? You know, D- does all this stuff make you mad? So what infuriates you? You know, uh, you'll find that it could be the biggest idol, the oldest idol of them all, and that's the idol of me. It's all about me. And so if you ask yourself, what really makes you mad? There could be some idolatry there as well. And then the last question, what are your dreams? You know, nightmares are kind of revealing, but so are daydreams. 
Daydreams are the places you choose to go with your imagination. You choose to go with your imagination. And what are some things that you think about that brings sort of a, a twinkle in your eye? Now, you know, aspirations are fine, but the question is, um, why do you aspire to those things? Is there something hidden there that, that maybe you need to dig up? As you dig in these, into these questions, maybe you'll find some idolatry there. And the reason I take time on that is because in the Bible, it's really, really easy to find the idols. They even name a lot of the idols there. And it shows them bowing and, and, and how God is against those and how the prophets talk against those. And again, today, we don't really have those physical idols that we bow down to, but I'm telling you, there are idols and they are in our everyday life. And so what are the things that we bring before God that we lay at the foot of God? In Scripture, the Lord God is often named by his character qualities. He's named after king of kings, Lord of lords, deliverer. He's also, one of his names is provider and healer and redeemer. But of all the names of God, and there's, there's many, many more, of all the names of God in the Bible and that describe his character, there's one that seems, I would say, out of place. And we find it in Exodus 34 or 14. I know I'm skipping around a little bit, but I'm, I'm, I'm really just kind of picking some things that, that really how the Lord is speaking in this message today. But in Exodus 34, 14, do not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Have you ever gone to God? Now, it says there, his name is Jealous. Have you ever gone to God with a name? And I would encourage you, you've heard me say this before, I would encourage you to have your own name for God. My name for God is the God of perfect timing. And the reason why he's a God of perfect timing is because in my life, when I prayed and I needed God to do something, to say something, to step in, to intervene, guess what? He did it at just the right time, and he's the God of perfect timing. I can go before God in prayer, and I can say, I call upon the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. I call upon your God, and I call upon the God of perfect timing. It's like God hears Frank Bennett call his name the name that I've given him because of circumstances. And it's like instantly we are matched up. Instantly the Holy Spirit is in tune to my spirit and we are tracking on the same page. There's an open communication. There's a huge broadband connection. It's not dial-up. It's broadband and we are talking to one another. I encourage you to have a name for God, but have you ever gone to God and say, I call upon you, jealous God? Oh, jealous God. It's one of his names. You can. You could call upon the jealous God, but it just doesn't seem to fit, does it? That's kind of a negative, it's kind of a negative term. Jealous. But as we see, it's not really a negative term term at all. You know, 
Is there anything that competes with the power and the greatness of God? Absolutely not. God has everything he needs. Why would he be jealous? Well, that has to do with your heart. God is jealous for your heart. Not because he is insecure. Trust me, God is anything but insecure. He's jealous for your heart, not because he's insecure, but because he loves you. Church, here, watching online, God loves you so incredibly much. He is jealous for you and for your love and for your heart. He loves you too much to share you. Yeah. I, I had a, a picture of this, of, of jealousy. Back in college, my wife, Suzanne, we, we dated there. Uh, we went to LSU, Baton Rouge, and we, uh, we dated, including the dating time and engagement, five years. And so kind of in the middle of that, uh, I, I wanted to take a break. I just was like, all right, I love Suzanne, but I mean, what if she's not the one, you know? We always get caught up in the one. There's only the one. And so there's a little bit of fear in that. It's like, all right, maybe, maybe there's the, the, the one that's really out there. Maybe it's not Suzanne. I, I know I'm stupid. I know. Because everyone knows, and those watching online who know Suzanne, know that you're crazy, Frank. You're stupid. Of course she's the one. But I just wanted to make sure. And so I actually dated a couple of the girls. I know, just hang with me. I dated a couple of the girls. But Suzanne decided that she would go on a date. And she went out with someone who was a friend, an acquaintance of, of both of us. And I heard that she went out on a date. And I was like, what? She went on a date with him? Are you kidding me? He's a redhead. He's, he's annoying. Really? And I'm like, no way. And it's like this jealous rage. It's like, I, I imagine them going on a date and him like holding her hand and, and even possibly giving her a goodnight kiss. And I'm just like, no way. After the date, called her up, said, all right, we got to talk. I'm, I'm, I'm done with my little experiment. I'm done with trying to figure out. It, it needs to be just you and me, if, if you're okay with that. And I was, you know, on my hands and knees, and I was just like, just forgive me. And, but I, it was a sense of jealousy that I had. Now, obviously, we've been together for 26 years or more, and it's, I mean, we have a great relationship. Thank God for that. There hasn't been any kind of jealousy since then. But I have this sort of sense of jealousy, and that's the best example I can get. And, it's, and trust me, God's jealousy for you is not a middle school problem, okay? It's not a middle school problem. It's not even a human adult problem. It's something bigger than that. Because God is saying, look, it's your choice. You need to decide. It's like Suzanne was saying, all right, 
I'm going to date, I'm going to go out with, on a date with this other guy. It's time for you to decide. Because guess what? I'm at the age where I'm looking around and, you know, if you don't, if you want, want any part of me, then that's fine. And so God is saying, look, the time is now for you to choose. Are you going to choose me over your money? Are you, are you going to choose me over your career? Are you going to choose me over this certain relationship in your life? Are you going to choose me over your friends? Are you going to choose me over your sports team? Mark my words, idolatry is spiritual adultery. The jealousy of God is demonstrated not just in the offense he takes at our idolatry, but in the pursuit of our hearts. He doesn't let you run off with some other lover. He relentlessly and recklessly chases after you. No matter what God, lowercase g, no matter what God seems to be winning the war in your heart at this particular moment in your life, you could be sure of one thing. The one true God will not give up on you without a fight. He will not give up you on you without a fight. God is in pursuit of our wandering hearts, our adulterous hearts, and he will stalk us to the grave. This is the one thing that separates Christianity from all other religions. You have a God, a loving God, who's in hot pursuit of your life and your heart. He's known as the hound of heaven, like a hound dog on a trail hunting you down. This is a God who has never given up on winning your heart. Never. You can't understand the seriousness of idolatry without understanding the jealousy of God. You can't. You cannot understand the seriousness of idolatry without understanding the jealousy of God. And you can't understand his jealousy without some understanding of his relentless, powerful, and reckless love for you. Now, God himself is not reckless. He's not a reckless God. But his love can oftentimes seem that way in regards to how he comes after you. The Bible says he, he leaves the 99 and goes after the one. I know it's hard to imagine that when three of our kids were, were little, and you, I've shared this story before, but my goodness, it's the best example in my life that I can see how God is in reckless pursuit of you with his love. We were in the mall, and Madison, our oldest daughter, and my wife was, they, they were shopping some of the stores, and I was in a store with Landon, who was very young, and Logan, who was even younger. He was in a stroller. 
So I'm strolling with Logan and Landon looking around. And after a few minutes, I look up and no sign of Landon. And Landon is kind of a, I mean, he, he, just, he just kind of wanders, you know, especially as a kid. You know, you know, he'll just go off and just kind of do his own thing, kind of independent. Even now he's independent. But he, he got away from me. And I was kind of looking around and kind of landing with my stroller and wasn't in the store, looked a little freaked out, checked the other stores, checked in the, and, and so we're in a mall, big, big mall, lots of people. And so at this point, I'm in freak out mode. So he's been gone several minutes <laughs> and, the, and, and, and I have this vision of losing him and having to explain to my wife that I lost him. And I did something that I can't believe I did then, but I had to. I took Logan in the stroller, handed off to a stranger, right? And I ran down the mall. Literally, was running. Found him by the food court, makes sense. Found him over by the food court, brought him back. Logan was still there, but there was no way that I could have made the traction that I needed to make with a stroller. I had to leave Logan behind and go after one. Now, now that ratio, I left, that, I left behind one to go look for one. But God is so in love with you that he would leave 99 behind and go look after you and go chase you down. Not because he's mad at you. Landon didn't get a spanking. Are you kidding me? I just hugged him and I cried and I said, thank you, Jesus. That's that's what Jesus does. He finds you. He chases after you. He leaves the 99. He simply gives himself away on the off chance that one of us might look back at him and offer ourselves in return. The recklessness of his love is seen most clearly in this one thing. He, it gets him hurt over and over again. Because not every one of us go after him. We hurt him time and time again. Make no mistake, our sin pains his heart. And 70 times 7 is a lot of times to have your heart broken by us towards God. Yet, he opens up and allows us in every single time. His love saw you when you hated him. When all logic said, you know, they're going to reject me, but I don't care if it kills me. I'm laying my heart on the line. Sometimes it takes a reckless love to rescue a reckless heart. So God's, God's jealousy for you, God's relentless pursuit of you, his, his reckless pursuit of you 
is real. And it's all wrapped up in love. All wrapped up in love. Even though God chases us with his love, the choice is ours. It's time for you to make a choice. This is illustrated so well in the Old Testament when Joshua, who took over the leadership with Moses, and he led the children of Israel into the promised land. And as, as Joshua, and as they made their way into the promised land and settled, and, and as Joshua was old, and basically his last scene, uh, possibly even on his deathbed of his life, Joshua says a passage of scripture that, that so fits today as well. He says this in Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the God of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I find it interesting that Joshua, he doesn't say, look, you need to serve the Lord and that's it. He, he explains that, look, you have a choice. You have a choice to serve other gods. You do. In fact, he goes over them, and it fits so well with us today. No, option number one, you could serve the God of your father or your mother. In other words, the God of your ancestors. He says that. We, uh, you know, Abraham where he grew up and where his father and mother and his family were, they worshiped, the Bible says this, they worshiped other idols. But when God called to him and he left and went to a new land, God was starting something new. But that whole ancestry idol worship was still, could easily have come up and been in his heart. You know, some of us today have parents that sort of worshipped other gods, had a lifestyle where they put those things before God. Um, you know, even, even in my life, I have some things that I, I grew up with, and it's easy for that to come into my life, my brother as well. You know, do, do your... Uh, your parents, I mean, your parent, did your parents smoke and drink? Maybe you do the same because of that. Did your parents have a, have a spending problem? Just want to feel like, feel like that they had to spend and spend their money on good things that made them happy? Maybe that's something that you have adopted for, for your, from your ancestors, from your parents and, and your grandparents. You know, we even see this today where we're, idolatry, we kind of know what the next generation, who their idols are going to be. I mean, phones. <laughs> don't, don't we see that now? I mean, this generation, when they become adults, when they become parents, it's going to be very easy for the next generation of children to adopt the idols of their parents. There, I think there's going to be in the next generations more and more Middle school and high school girls take pictures of themselves in a bikini and put it on Instagram, but yet still have Jesus is my friend and I'm a lover of Jesus Christ in their profile. 
but yet they're causing people to stumble because of what they feel like they need to post on Instagram. And yes, that was meant to step on people's toes. Idolatry is real. Idolatry is real. Don't fall to the idols of your ancestors. The next, option number two. Option number one, God of your ancestors. Option number two, the God of your past. uh, Joshua said, the idols that you worshipped in Egypt. the, The children of Egypt spent over 400 years in Egypt. That's longer than the United States has been a country. Do you think that there's going to be some issues, some, some carryover from the, the idols in Egypt into their life? Of course, that's what Joshua mentioned. So he told them, look, the, the gods of your past, you can't be bringing them up. Are you going to serve the gods of your past? If, if, you, if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, if you have accepted him as Lord and Savior, you still have some, idol, some idols in the past. Especially those who have accepted him as an adult, maybe later on in life. There are some things in the past that keep coming up. You invite Jesus to be Lord in your life. And then you realize that, man, there's some, there's some things happening. There's some things that are coming up. It's kind of like use, using the illustration of this. Have you, ever, have you ever stepped in dog poop in the yard and then walk in the house? I've done that before. I've stepped in dog poop. I remember as a kid, I stepped in dog poop, and I walk into one of my friend's house who had white carpet, and I left a trail through the house. And it was so embarrassing. And of course, you, the stench is the one that, that really notifies, and then you look back and you see the trail. Hey, what you've stepped on, what you've stepped in, the junk you've stepped in in the past, don't bring that in to your relationship to Christ. Don't bring that into your relationship to Christ. Don't all of a sudden realize you catch a whiff and you're like, something don't smell right. It's embarrassing stuff. And it comes along for the ride. The uh, old idols are hard to break. Old idols are hard to break. The problem is, the problem isn't that we need to choose and follow Jesus. I mean, a lot of people do. A lot of people choose to trust trust in Christ. But the problem is that we have tried to follow him without leaving something behind. We try to follow Jesus without leaving something behind. We carry that in to our relationship with Christ. And God's like, look, what you did in Egypt, that's in Egypt. What you did in your old life, that's in your old life. What you did this past week, mess up, fall down, that's in the past. You don't need to bring that into your new week, your new day. God's mercies are new every morning. Thank you, Jesus. But you don't have to bring that into your life. I, I, I love this, what it says in John. Um, actually, let me, let me share that in a few more minutes. So, don't worship the idols, the issues, the problems of your family. Don't bring that in. 
your parents or grandparents. Don't bring into things in your past when you, were, when you lived your life in an old way. And then number three is don't worship the God of our culture. And I'll close with this. Don't worship the God of your culture. G, uh, Joshua says this in verse 15. In the land that you are living. In other words, you're going to be living in a region of the, of the world where there's idolatry all around you. And the prophets... After, after they got settled and they had the kings and they had prophets, the prophets hated idolatry of, of all the neighboring lands because they had home field advantage. You and I, we have idols in our culture and they're in us and around us every day of our lives. These fake gods have home field advantage and we struggle that with our culture. We are not to do the things of this world or culture. This is where in John 15, verses 18 through 19, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. If you are living in the world, which we are, you do not need to live as the world. You do not need to be of the world. Even though you're in it, you do not need to be of it. You don't need to bring those idols from our culture over. And y'all, it is very, very difficult. It is very difficult. Whether it be sports or career or, or trying to look good in front of others or so worried about what people think. And social media has brought that up to an, an extremely high level. Our culture may even call us Christians mean for standing up for certain sins. I would encourage you to stand and stand strong against certain sins, not against people. God loves everyone. He's in search of everyone's hearts. But the sin that is latched on to people's lives. Because of the pressures from our culture, we cling to the, as a church, we, we cling to idols of inclusion and tolerance. There's an idol called inclusion. You have to include everyone. You have to include people. Yes, we, we won't include them as a person, but we don't need to include them, their, their lifestyle, their sin. The other idol in our culture is tolerance. You need to tolerate Sin. You need to tolerate certain sin. No, we don't. We do not need to tolerate sin. Yeah, we tolerate the people. We tolerate each other, even as a body of Christ. But, but sin, people who, who are walking in sin against God's word, we don't need to bow down to the idol of inclusion and tolerance. I see so many churches and Christians morph into this casual Christianity and bowing down to the demands to include and tolerate sin at the expense of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So I encourage you, don't include the idols of your family. You need to, you need to break those chains. Don't include the idols of your past. Jesus forgave you of that. You do not have to keep going back to that. If you stepped in something, take your shoes off, for this is holy ground. Your life is holy. And then number three, don't let 
the culture, the idolatry of our culture infiltrate into your life. Stand true to what is in God's word. Stand true to what is in this book. Live your life by it. Love everyone, absolutely. But you don't need to tolerate. You and I don't need to put up with sin and say, hey, you know, I think you can get in heaven even though you're living this kind of lifestyle. Or you believe in these kinds of things. Or maybe you believe in, in, in more than one way to heaven. No, that's wrong. It goes against this book. So I encourage you, don't bow down to those idols. You know, and then at the end of his life, Joshua says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We are serving the Lord, period. Have you decided you're going to serve the Lord? Have you made that choice? Because you know it is a choice. It is a choice. But God has already made that choice. He's already made the choice that he's going to love you. He proved it by down on the cross. He proved it by leaving heaven and coming down to this lowly earth and living a sinless life and becoming as a man and dying for us on the cross, rising again. He proved that, and he's in pursuit of your heart. He's jealous for you. He is. Will you accept him as Savior? Will you put down your idols? Will you understand that, wow, God's love for me is more than I can ever imagine. That is why idols are serious. So the next three weeks, we're going to go specifically. We're going to look at idols, some the big idols in our lives. But before we do that, you need to understand this. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. doesn't matter what you've done. So I encourage you, surrender to him and surrender your idols. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As we close out this service, you're sitting here today or maybe watching online, you could be thinking, you know, Pastor Frank, I, I, I do need to make that choice. I need to lay down some idols. Maybe there's some, maybe there's some things you're holding on to that you've laid before God, you brought into your relationship to God, and you need to cut those off. Maybe some things in your, in your past, or maybe some things your parents did, your, your grandparents did, and it's hard to let those go. Or maybe it's things in the culture that have snuck into your heart. Whatever those are, you need to identify those and say, God, I surrender that to you. I surrender that to you. Or maybe you're sitting here today and say, you know, Frank, what you've said to me today about God's love, I never knew that someone could love me so much. That God is so relentless and so reckless pursuit of me. And he's jealous. So I want to respond by giving him my heart. If that is you, just ask the Lord Jesus to come into your life. Say, Jesus, I'm, I'm sorry I'm sorry for the life I've lived. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Be Lord of my life. I surrender it all to you. I give up my idols to you. Please help me to live for you. In Jesus' name.